Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Joya Barnbrook. I'm a third year PhD student I'm at the University of Aberdeen. Um, I'm working on, uh, like quite broadly, I'm working on the changing goose hunt in uh, Wiminji, which is a, a community, a Cree community on um, the uh, east coast of James Bay in uh, northern Quebec. And uh, I'm kind of, I'm in the write-up stage at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's like, broadly, that's what I'm doing. Interesting. So a lot to follow up on there. Uh, how did you get to Aberdeen? And what uh, what program are you in? Oh, uh, I'm in uh, anthropology, sorry. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, I did what you generally think not meant to do. And I did my undergrad at Aberdeen. And then um, I was... I wasn't actually starting anthropology. I started in um, uh, linguistics and religious studies, I think. But I took a few courses in anthropology, um, and I was really, if it's not too kind of <laughs> naff, I was really inspired um, by our by the teachers there and by the issues they were talking about. And I was always really, especially excited by kind of discussions about um, kind of uh, the environment and um, kind of subsistence lifestyles in the north. Um, and so that was a theme that I, I'd never really thought about before, but it really kind of uh, took hold. And then I kind of left for a year after I graduated. I did odd jobs and then came back, uh, got a place in the graduate program and came back. And yeah, so I, I've been in Aberdeen for the, the whole of my kind of educational career. <laughs> <laughs> and then in terms of the, in terms of your research, how did you, uh, get from Aberdeen to researching uh, geese or goose hunting on the eastern shores of James Bay? Well, I, I like I said, I had this real interest in, in the environment. Um, and so kind of for graduate studies, started to consider where would be a good place to do it um, with the help of my supervisors and uh, kind of their network. We started talking about it and a few people, you know, people who work um, in James Bay, they, they said there's this kind of growing concern, um, especially in coastal communities, about how the goose hunt is changing. And uh, so it suggested that that was a, a possible area of study. Um, and yeah, I, I just went from there, really. I, I went over there first in, um, I think it was the autumn of uh, 2015 and went for a few months and I found that people were you know speaking to people in the community and they were yeah like just as I've been told that this was a an issue that people were, were really concerned about and were quite keen for um to be explored so I went from there really um went back in in 2016 for about eight months and again in 2017 about seven six six months I think um yeah so I've just been kind of starting from just just a small kind of suggestion from somebody and it's just kind of grown from that <laughs> <laughs> so you've done quite a bit of uh infield uh interaction or research then over the past three years yeah i've been i really lucky to um to get that time and and to be obviously like able to go there and yeah just really lucky to spend that time with people and in the community um it's a real real privilege and yeah, no, it's been fantastic. Now, is that uh, that time, is that mandated by the specific parameters of your research or is that mandated by kind of um, the need to be there 
and build relationships or maintain relationships in the community to allow the research to happen? Or is it a little bit of both? I think it's, I guess it's a little bit of both. Um, I was keen to have that chance to go. I think most programs in the UK in a way, because we have a, a three-year PhD program, you tend to um, be kind of restricted normally to have about a year of field work. Um, but I, because, you know, a lot of my work deals with, you know, a migratory animal that is kind of the seasonality of it is so important. Um, I think having that chance to go in different seasons um, and to, to observe, uh, especially the, the spring migration is the, the really big one, right, in uh, James Bay. And so having that chance to go to two, to be kind of be present during two springs seem to, you know, that that's an opportunity that I think, one, it does help a lot in terms of like building um, familiarity and relationships in the community, but also it just makes sense in terms of uh, the subject matter, right? Like, um, I mean, you know, it's, I'm sure this is a thing common to a lot of um, anthropologists, certainly people I've spoken to, you know, this sense, you kind of, you go in and you start and think, oh yeah, that, that's a long time. <laughs> and then once you've done that, you start to think, no, like I, you know, I could, you don't really feel that it's long enough to, to say anything because you just think, you realize, I guess, as you do generally, when you, the more you study something, the more you, or the more you learn about things, the more you think that, you know, you realize how much you don't know. After a year, you think, man, I need <laughs> a lot longer. I need, I need 20 years. Then I'd start to get this, you know, I'd really, but yeah. So I was lucky to get that chance to go back for a second time. Um, I'm funded by, uh, British Research Council, the um, ESRC, and they um, very graciously gave me a six-month kind of opportunity to do kind of specific kind of language work, um, so that that extra kind of six-month block of field work last year was um, partly funded by them kind of supporting um, research, but with, with a special focus on trying to um, gather terms on um, environmental uh, kind of features on on goose you know geese body parts everything like that um but yeah so it, it's not certainly in the uk that much field work wouldn't be completely normal um, because we have these quite specific time constraints but i think in terms of you know being realistic uh, building relationships and beginning to like build familiarity it's 20 years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's it seems crazy to me now you know the year seems so long at the start <laughs> um just a small question because i probably should have asked you what uh what kind of geese uh it's oh uh, <laughs> pri primarily being hunted or what's the primary migration through there oh uh primarily canada geese okay um but also also uh brant geese um that's more brant are more in the uh autumn um used to be huge numbers of snow geese as well um coming through james bay people you know I think, I guess, I've never seen a snow goose, actually, but people say because, you know, they're um, these big kind of white feathers and they say it looked like a cloud, you know, when they used to fly over. And I spoke to people who remembered that from 30 years ago, uh, but now there's none of them. Like, I haven't seen a single snow goose the whole time I've been there. And the people I've spoken to, they said we haven't seen them for 15 years, 20 years at hmm. all. Um, so, yeah, now it's it's primarily Canada geese. Um and yeah, like I said, some brand in the autumn. Are the geese migrating through the area or is this the uh, kind of the nesting grounds? 
Yeah, they'll be um most of them will be heading further north. Um but some some do nest down there. I guess it depends on the weather as well further north. There's been um you know, there's always kind of a knock on effect. Um if the weather is bad or people are saying that they're really smart. Like they're really <laughs> smart and if it's not good, you know, like this year um people were saying that there's still actually been some snow and some ice like further north and so they're they're less keen to head up but um yeah, yeah i for lots of them it's just a kind of feeding it's really good for feeding grounds um and for just kind of pausing like taking a break on their way ah interesting so and then in terms of the specific research because you said um you your undergrad wasn't initially in anthropology um what is like what is the I don't want to say thesis because that might be that's an always an unfair question to ask PhD students. What's your thesis about? <laughs> um, but or what, like what is what's the what's the general idea uh, or focus of the research then? Um, so it's I think the kind of particular yeah like I'm also reluctant to be like this is my thesis because <laughs> um, you know I'm writing it but it's kind of you know changes I guess as you're doing it but. Um, my kind of particular um, interest in in this is how um, you know for, first of all, like, like I said, broadly, like how it's changing and how um, how uh, geese numbers and geese behavior is changing and what we can learn um, you know about the wider environment from that and in kind of interwoven with that is um, sorry our uh, discussions about you know, uh, wider changes to the environment. Um, I think there's something really interesting in geese in that they kind of straddle, certainly Canada geese, you know, they they straddle this kind of marine and terrestrial environment um, and lots of the, the things that they rely on, like especially kind of seagrasses that they rely on, those also straddle this marine uh, terrestrial environment, you know. So I think that's quite interesting because it tells us about environmental changes in both of those parts of our environment. Um, but my kind of that's a kind of broad theme. And I'm especially interested in looking at that through the lens of um, particularly how uh, we gain knowledge about um, these changes in, in animal bodies, so especially in goose bodies and especially in, you know, when um, in most communities, primarily women will process geese, although that's not, it's not exclusive, um, but it does tend to be women. And so I've been especially interested in speaking to women and discovering what kind of changes they are seeing in the, the bodies of the geese that they are processing. You know, they're plucking them, they're preparing them to cook them, um, and, and how that can reflect like wider changes in the environment. And that kind of, um, it connects with, I think you had uh, one of my supervisors, you had Nancy Wackowicz on uh, this podcast a, a while ago. And, yeah. you know, she... She does a lot of really interesting work with um, women and, and women's kind of um, knowledge and women's, um, you know, kind of uh, work on skins and things like that. And so kind of uh, a little bit, not in that same kind of depth, but it's connected to that kind of work. Like what can you learn about animals and animal health through um, that? And especially then, how can we bring um, women's knowledge more into discussions about environmental change? Because I think that's that's something that maybe could be explored more a little bit. Very interesting. So then, do you, in terms of uh, like a method methodological question, is it do you do conduct interviews or it, 
is it um, observation and kind of reflection or like wh what is what is the or does the methodology just kind of or the I don't like the phrase research collection or data collection because it's too no. impersonal. Yeah. And particularly yeah. in your case, and if you've been there for eight months, it's, it must be a very personal <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, relationship. But uh, sorry. Yeah. It's, sorry, no. I was going to say, I don't really have a technical term, but I guess it's kind of a mixture, like a mishmash of, <laughs> of, of interviews and um, I guess what in anthropology we term like participant observation and, you know, kind of, yeah, it's a real mixture, actually. Um, I did do interviews, although I found that a lot of the interviews I did tended to be towards the end of my research, um, especially with women. Uh, I found that, you know, initially it was more about kind of just being present and being around and, and kind of observing and kind of talking to people, but not in what I think can sometimes be a slightly strange environment of kind of a formal interview. Because right. I think sometimes, um, especially, you know, like, I'm sure this is, perhaps you've experienced this, like, you know, it can often be easier to talk about something, you know, when you're doing it, you know, you're kind of there and things are happening. And I think sometimes a kind of formal interview, like, you know, let's sit down at a table and it, it can be much harder to, it just, I found that always to feel very strange. So um, it was a definite mixture. I have done uh, a number of interviews, but. Uh, and, th and they were the mixture as well. I think it's, um, I also interviewed men. You know, I also worked with hunters. Um, I was, you know, I don't believe, like, I don't feel that it was necessary to kind of say, no, I'm only going to speak to women or I'm only going to, you know, do that. So it was a, a mixture of people um, and a mixture of participant observation and being around um, and then interviews as well. So I, I, I think it's like, I don't know. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to, you have to respond to, to what is there. And also I think it's about as much as possible. You want to find a method that is as appropriate as possible for the people that you're working with. You know, you, you can go in there with all sorts of like ideas about the best kind of, oh, got a really good academic methodology, <laughs> but I think it's probably, I don't know. It seems the best way to do it is, you know, about being flexible to what is most appropriate. Um, and I think, Certainly in this context, that was kind of observation first um, and then interviews later. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it, no it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me anyways. <laughs> uh, you know, you tend not to you tend not to just walk into someone's house and say, hey, tell me about this thing that you either do every day or this. <laughs> Please, you, don't, you have no idea who I am. Please tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely did that at the start, you know, because yeah. you have, you go into it and you have no real idea. I think that's what I mean when I said, you know, you need 20 years, because <laughs> even now, like, all that I'm really aware of after, you know, uh, if the time I've been doing it is I just feel like uh, there is so much I don't know. And I think, yeah, it's, you make so many mistakes, <laughs> especially I think when you start, you know, your research. So I think that, yeah, it's, <laughs> you need a lot of time to get better at it, you know. Right. Is the is the community you're working in and the people you're working uh, uh are they familiar with uh academics? Is it uh for uh... Yeah, that's I think that's actually uh it's quite impressive. Like the the community of Ominji and I guess many of the coastal communities and also several of the inland communities in James Bay, they they've had a number of <laughs> a number of researchers and certainly Wominji especially has the 
you know, it's had a kind of quite a steady stream of especially graduate students. Um, most of them have come from McGill. You know, a lot of them tend to be right. students under um, Professor Colin Scott, who has been working that, you know, he's been working that community for a long time. Um, and so, but there have actually been these often quite productive um, partnerships between students and they've um, kind of past students have done really interesting work and kind of overall hopefully seem to be viewed quite positively within the community um, and I think that helped you know immensely like going in there with and people are familiar um, with this kind of you know whole kind of bizarre <laughs> setup um, but they're also you know people have had quite positive experiences like on the whole with that um, and so yeah you you really feel like you know you feel like you're kind of building on that hopefully and um yeah there's a sense people are you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> people are reasonably kind of happy with that and and certainly there are lots of individuals who have been very patient with many graduate students um <laughs> and they're they're but they're still kind of good-natured and <laughs> kind of humorous with our with our bad questions but um yeah, I think I, it's, you know, there's also been some interesting, uh, there's actually an article written by, kind of colla like collaboratively written between um, Colin Scott, uh, Monica Moran, and, and um, I think it was Rodney Mark when he was, uh, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, I think when he was chief of Womenji. And so they wrote a whole article on um, kind of good kind of collaborative practice um, oh, in, in anthropology. And so that was I mean, it's a few years ago now, I think, 2012 or something. But so t to me, that's a really interesting environment to be in because there is this, there are these ongoing relationships, you know, people, um, especially people like Colin Scott, like Monica Mulrennan, they, they've demonstrated quite a good kind of commitment to this community. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's quite a unique, unique place. I mean, not necessarily unique within James Bay, but it's, it's quite special um, in those terms, I think. Right. Is that uh, is that paper uh, like, let's say, publicly available? Perhaps it's firewalled behind a publisher, but um, uh, or is it a kind of an internal document that? No, no. I think it's publicly available. I mean, yeah, it might be behind a publisher's one, but I, no, I think it's it's certainly it's it was in a journal. I actually can't oh, okay. remember which one off the top of my head, but yeah. Right. So it, it wasn't published as a kind of an internal document for people interested in working in or with the community. It was more. Of... No, I think it it was it was meant to be addressed to a. I mean, I guess primarily a, an academic audience, kind of telling you know, saying like, look, here is, you know, speaking as both you know the experienced researchers, and then speaking as somebody who has as a kind of community leader who has a lot of experience working with researchers, uh, you know, but also has in the kind of um, needs of the community kind of at heart. Like this is a good way. These are good models, and this is a way to do it. Um, no, I th yeah, I think it's aimed at an academic audience. Okay, I'll have trying to... to encourage us, encouraging us to do better. You know, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I'll have to look that up because I'm I'm always interested in uh, in those types of documents, whether they're internal, uh, in internal in the sense that it's for the community to control and for yeah. researchers to uh, build the relationships, or whether it's uh, publicly available as a, you know, before you even think about doing this, this is what you have to consider if you are planning on doing research um yeah with no i think it was the latter yeah i think i think it's the latter cool uh yeah hopefully it's not it probably is paywalled though uh 
Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother topic that uh, we'll that's, yeah, get into. That's a whole different. Don't, don't need to get either of us in trouble, per se, uh, if we ever <laughs> intend to publish with some of these people um, or some of these publishers. Um, so uh, in terms of then, uh, again, another question probably shouldn't ask uh, a, a PhD student. Uh, what stage are you at then? <laughs> and well, the re- you're is... bringing all of them today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't warn you that um, I'd ask I, those unfair questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, approaching the, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say approaching the end because that sounds too ambitious. But um, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, I'm hopefully about halfway in terms of writing. Okay. Um, so I'm, you know, kind of looking to be submitting within i don't want to say anything binding right um, right (laughs) you know within within the you know five four five six months five months something like that six months (laughs) right so the 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 field work or in fields is complete and now it's the the composition of the 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 final hoop for the for the phd then yeah pretty pretty much pretty much although i'm i'm heading back oh yeah oh right I'm heading, yes. I'm heading back on uh next week uh to kind of to uh, i don't know what the kind of formal term is but to um with kind of transcripts and with you know um what i've what i've got recorded of what people have said and to kind of just go over that with everybody and, and hopefully if i can if i can do that to check you know what i've got and say you know is that is that okay or what do you want me to do with that so yeah trying trying to to do that next week but then i'll then i'll stop doing that i'll I'll get to writing (laughs) yeah um is that a was that a key uh aspect of conducting the research either either like a prior commitment or as it developed that um you would check back in and kind of get uh like i'd kind of have ongoing consent for the uh the words and the knowledge that you'd use and synthesize into your phd i mean i think it was always like i don't want to sound too grand and be like oh it's a you know it's a true tenant or whatever but i think it's uh it was always something that i kind of said to people like you know that was something i'd like to do as long if i can um and you know it became possible to do that and i i think it's really important you know i think um because you know people give consent before they start talking and then you know they'll you know they'll maybe they'll be okay with that and, and hopefully everybody is you know ha- very happy with <laughs> what's been said but i feel like you know you've said that and then you know if sometime later someone can say okay you know so this is this is what i've got and you know are you are you happy with that because it's not just you know approaching somebody with the kind of you know finished <laughs> final product like and saying oh you know you ha- is that okay like but it's also i think at this stage as well yeah i think like you said it's ongoing and it's it's about uh, as much as possible, even though it's quite far away, you know, being in, in Scotland and not like I can't keep going, kind of popping back and checking. <laughs> but I think it's it's really important, especially, you know, I've got you know people that I can contact on Facebook or email, but there's you know, elders, obviously, you kind of um, some some elders don't have that access. So it's good to sit down with people if I can. Um, and just kind of go over that. I think that's quite important. When you can, obviously, it's not always possible. And I'm lucky that it is possible this summer. But 
yeah, I, I don't know. To me, that seems quite important. That seems like a good, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, it's an important practice, I think, when you can do it. Yes, indeed. I mean, because also uh, th- there, there is the financial limit as well, because I can't imagine it's a, I can't imagine it's a cheap flight for you. <laughs> no, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, we, I guess it's probably anybody who's been a grad student or anything knows that, you know, you, you're always kind of looking for these little pots of money that will come up and they're always kind of really specific to, you know, like to things. And so you're always on the verge, you know, looking for stuff like that. And so I was lucky with this trip that could kind of gravel together some of that stuff and make it make it kind of viable but yeah no it's it's not it's not cheap it's not um although it's not as bad as i hear you know um people who work much further north you know and, and people obviously who live further north and planes and stuff it's, it's even more expensive so yeah it's, uh... <laughs> but it's it's important i feel like this is really important and uh, luckily kind of the people who control those little pots of money uh, seem to I don't know. They seem to agree with that. So. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> how long? How long will this uh, trip back be? Oh, it's uh, pretty much a month. Oh, okay. Pretty much, yeah. So I, yeah, allowing enough time, hopefully, to try and, you know, get to speak. Because of course, that's the other thing. You know, like going back to what we were saying about making mistakes as a researcher and kind of not not really knowing how to do it. You know, you start off and you completely forget that people are on. They've they've got a lot of stuff to do. Like everybody is busy. You know, you, I think sometimes you can go in and think, Oh, well, I've got this stuff I have to get done and da da da. And, uh, you know, so that's something else you've learned is like, yeah, you, everybody's got their own schedule. You, you have to just try and try and get to speak to people. But yeah, that was, <laughs> I'll add that to the very, very long list of, you know, mistakes you make. Like, <laughs> well, mistakes are, you know, but as long as people learn from the mistakes they make rather than t- continually uh, making them or asserting that the mistakes don't matter <laughs> it's uh that's yeah that's true. that's where that's where the <laughs> although i'm sure i'm certain uh i'm certain that uh at least in the, with the brief kind of field work or in field work that i've done uh if you if you continue to if you if you're bullheaded about the things that you think should be done uh you're not going to get far or, yeah I, yes or, or the knowledge you, no, i think that's sorry or the knowledge you collect it, it's uh for lack of a better word pointless <laughs> yeah no that absolutely absolutely um yeah oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um is the, the again this is like a more it's kind of just a, a small technical question that i should have asked what's the primary language of communication is uh, can you get uh, by with English, or does is interpretation and translation often required? Um, it it depends uh, who who you're speaking to, uh, but um, majority of majority of communication is in English. Um, that said, especially with elders, there are elders who um, are either more comfortable speaking Cree, or um, you know uh, aren't kind of comfortable enough in speaking English. Um, and so, yeah, there's been a few times, some interviews where kind of you have uh, someone translating, but it's always like I've always been very lucky and it's been like in a, a family setting, you know, so 
someone's kind of relative or their partner or um yeah so there there are situations like that um and i'm you know perfectly happy with either and in some ways i quite like that kind of um kind of multiple kind of person setup because i think again it, it takes away slightly from that really sometimes quite awkward kind of one person over a table you know that kind of yeah. very formal setting um, and i think the more it feels like uh people are there with their family or you're there with your friend and you know it makes it more like a just like we're talking kind of situation rather than you know yeah. <laughs> what can be quite intimidating and quite and just completely bizarre is this person that you don't know that well you know asking you these stupid questions like <laughs> uh, which is you know that that's me um and so I think, and yeah, so I have had that. Um, but English is the primary language. Um, for some, very little French, except by um, kind of outsiders who who are working there. Um, yeah, no, so um, I tried some Cree, and my Cree is very bad. But, you know, <laughs> like um, I try and I've always managed to, like, I kind of would learn just how to, you know, be like, oh, it's a nice day, or like weather was always my thing. So apparently even, you know, in Korea, I'm basically a English person, you know, being like, oh, it's raining, it's sunny. <laughs> it's, and it would always, you know, people like to, I like to crack people up with that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> looking very proud of myself, sounding like a three-year-old probably, like, ah, oh, it's raining. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, when you're working with hunters, weather's kind of important, so, you know. <laughs> that's true, that's true, although I probably, the way I expressed it did not kind of convey all the important kind of complexity. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was just, oh, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it? I, I had something and then I got sidetracked by the weather, as Canadians tend to do, um, <laughs> our favorite topic of conversation. Um uh, what was it about? Uh, sorry. Oh, it was about uh, when you're talking about uh, kind of the group dynamic, if there's interpretation mm -hmm. or translation involved. And I just, I wondered, perhaps, uh, do you think it helps? Because per, cause sometimes the questions that, uh, for like, for lack of a better word, an outsider or someone who's unfamiliar with, uh, or like with a particular processing practice or hunting practice or knowledge in that sense, um do you think kind of the 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 difficulty uh with the kind of the one-on-one -on -one is that it's um kind of a technical you're kind of asking for a, a technical answer in a to a to a situation or an activity that's treated or understood as kind of mundane or everyday and yeah and, and, and yeah sorry go on. <laughs> yeah not saying that everyday and mundane isn't serious or important or relevant just more that uh people tend you know as most people tend to do the things they do in their everyday they don't necessarily you know lay them out or think about them in a technical way all the time or at least in a formalized way like an yeah, interview no, can sure. be it's super formal and it it's often completely abstract right like yeah. it's okay now we're in this office but let's kind of cast your mind back to you know when you were doing this and when that you know and so you even as you're saying it you hear yourself kind of creating these sentences that are like, so when that, you know, and whereas I found, I think that's kind of what we we're saying before, like, if you're actually, you know, you've got um, geese that are cooking in front of you, or you've got stuff, then it's it's much easier to have those conversations and not 
you know, sound kind of weird because <laughs> it's actually, it's there and you, you can talk about it and point at it. But, you know, trying to talk about that in some random office, it, obviously it's not going to be as, as effective. <laughs> um, and I think that now I'm like, of course, but, you know, you start off and you, you don't really think about that necessarily. Um, and I, yeah, I think absolutely. And I also think that, you know, if you, you've got, I mean, first of all, it just makes it a much nicer environment i guess if you've got family or friends there it can become funnier you can tell stories um you know you just becomes a bit of a more comfortable environment and it's also like i you know have no doubt that when people were you know if someone was translating you know question i asked or something like that they probably translated it into a better question because (laughs) you know you you don't know how to ask questions necessarily in, in ways that are good or ways that are most effective. So often, yeah, if you've got a one-on-one, you might ask a question, then the person just kind of looks at you like, well, you know, what kind of question is that? Um, and I think that's possibly another benefit. Or, you know, I've had that. I've had group dynamics, even if everyone's talking in English and someone might rephrase my question to make it, you know, to make it into a, an actual good question and not, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, I don't know if, if I should say that, but I think that's true. You know, you you don't always know what to ask. Well, maybe you don't know how to ask it or, you know, all that stuff. And so you learn how to do that as well. Um, but generally you'll learn that by watching other people who, who know how to do that better than you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a strange, it's a, it's kind of the strange position of the, the academic profession, um, regardless if one's working, uh, in, with an indigenous community in Canada or not. Um, it's the, it's kind of the, the expectation that the academic can elicit or collect or however, whatever uh, word you want to use uh, knowledge in a way that is that that knowledge that is collected is actually useful um, rather than just kind of it being a product of the, of that, you know, of that interaction. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm coming at it or explaining it clearly as I'm thinking about it, but uh and, you know, in the sense of uh, uh, like the formalized, like there's, you know, you the interview is a formalized process. So that kind of knowledge has mm-hmm. to be kind of treated as in form as formal, where perhaps some of this, uh, you know, different ways of interacting and collaborating and working with people produces different sorts of knowledge or at least expands the breadth of understanding of what of what the knowledge is and how it's used absolutely yeah and i think i mean you can have interviews that can produce some really um really kind of interesting stuff or like kind of like really important things and and can be like some of the most valuable i i, I found in, in my own stuff like valuable kind of things that you can learn but at the same time like um you can also have them where you know you know that there is uh like a lot of that the person you're speaking to has a lot of knowledge on, you know, whatever it is that you're talking about. And it's not, they're not like, they're, they're not trying not to tell you. It's just that you realize that you're kind of coming up against your own inability to, to phrase it right, or the, the setting is wrong. Or, um, And I think also those, the other ways of getting that knowledge, you know, even if it's just not even like participant observation, if it's just kind of participating and it's just being out, you know, on the boat or on the land long enough, that you yourself start to be able to make observations and to see things a little bit. And then I, I did start to find a difference when I would start to try and offer stories. Or if I would, you know, if 
I went somewhere at the weekend, you know, on the land and probably I made a mistake or I said something stupid or, you know, whatever. And then I could bring that into a conversation with somebody. And that also like, you know, and that's not like a, not intended as like a, a ploy or whatever. It's just what you do because you realize that that's quite a helpful thing, but that's nothing that you would ever, like no one can teach you that and be like, well, this is how to do an interview. But that's just something you pick up. You realize like, yeah, that's a way to start it. And so they kind of, um, they're not completely separate. Like I think, yeah, like they build on each other. And I think um, richer experiences like out on the land or being with people, you know, just not not for any kind of even a research intention, just kind of being an all human being, like <laughs> with people like out somewhere or even just in town, like you pick up on things that if you're just constantly looking at it like, how can I do my research that you might miss? And once you get those things, you can then, that gives you a better foundation on which to do your research. And it also, I mean, you know, build a foundation in you as a person, which I think is, is also important. But yeah, no, I think they, they flow together and they kind of, you get a lot more from these more kind of um, formal settings, like interviews, which also I think tend to be like, um, what's the word, like, held up more you know as a kind of standard of how you meant to do it yeah but you only really can start to make those really valuable when you have the other kind of you know the other kind of experiences that that really help you to understand and to improve those interviews if that makes sense oh certainly and and just to be clear there's nothing particularly wrong with formal interviews it's just I think, oh no as, no as, no no as you described it i think it there's other ways that can uh, that they're part of they're part of a broader approach to research and and understanding as opposed to just Definitely. a single method um, Definitely. so in terms of uh to kind of pull it back from the real the insider kind of methodological stuff that we've been talking about um get to get to a little more bit more storytelling a little bit more perhaps uh personal in a sense uh had you uh prior to your prior to this research had you uh had much experience as hunting or fishing or camping or outdoors um i mean i've been camping a few times <laughs> uh i think i i've gone fishing once uh you know like i'd never really um i mean i grew up in uh, birmingham which is the second largest city in england uh i <laughs> <laughs> I had very kind of limited experience and, and perhaps, you know, like over here, we, you know, our land is, it's very different. Even right. even in Scotland, I remember some Canadian friends from our colleagues, you know, they'd fly over as they were coming into Aberdeen and they'd say like, this country is like a garden. Like it's just so, everything is so kind of, you know? Um, and so to me, I all my outdoor experiences were limited and if, you know, they were all very kind of, uh, I don't want to say tame, but you know what I mean? Like they were just, it was kind of all so organized and it was like school and stuff. Whereas this, yeah. So almost all of this, I'd never seen guns. Okay. <laughs> I'd never seen guns before. I mean, I don't have a problem with that and I got quite comfortable with it, but like, yeah, all of that hunting, the whole thing was, was pretty much entirely new to me. <laughs> <laughs> so a, so a coinciding learning experience as well. <laughs> Oh yeah, in in every I've never been to Canada. In the whole right. <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing was completely new. <laughs> so uh, then to go to move into the storytelling, uh, is there uh, 
do you remember the first uh time you went out because i assume you've gone out goose hunting regularly or or, or is that part of the research all right sorry i shouldn't assume that (laughs) (laughs) i've joined people in kind of setting up kind of goose hunting sites um I have never actually goose hunted. Okay. Um, I've spoken to people about it quite a lot. I've done kind of narrative work on that, but partly because it tends to be men. There are more women involved in goose hunting now, but it does tend to be like more of a kind of a, a, what men do. Uh, Women tend to stay in camp or they'll, you know, then when the geese come in, that's that's when their work starts, you know, processing, plucking. Um, And so I've, I've done plucking and I've kind of, you know, done that like processing um and i've i've seen goose sites and i've helped to set up you know like decoys and lines but i've never i've never myself actually participated in a goose hunt i'll ah. have to be completely honest about that <laughs> <laughs> um it's also increasingly di- you know um possibly something we haven't come across yet is that um sorry come on to yet is that um where kind of previously because the goose numbers are changing um so kind of you know, rapidly in um, places. It used to be that people would go to coastal camps and they go with family. Uh, you could go on the skidoo or, um, you know, way back it would be a dog sled. Um, you'd have a coastal camp and you'd set up there and you'd stay for uh, people, you know, many families would, would try and get there when the ice was still good and then they'd leave. Um, they'd paddle back or they'd come back on the boat when the ice in the bay had, had gone. So you'd stay for... I don't know, like two, three months, maybe, long, you know, depending on the weather. Okay. Um, and so everybody everybody would go, pretty much. And so I think those uh, researchers that came to places like Wiminji, um, kind of 20, 30, 40, you know, many years ago, that was still how it was done. But um, because the geese are no longer flying uh, along that kind of coastal flyway that they used to, just go along in thousands, you know. Um, it's now very far fewer families will will do that, um, and so there's this kind of. It's actually much harder to um, to kind of to experience that full kind of the kind of the full uh, flavor of the the kind of spring goose hunt in that sense. Um, increasing numbers of people are actually traveling um all the way down to the um the ottawa valley down oh, there oh wow okay and that they're, they're hunting on um farmers fields because farmers say okay you know you can stay in my house and you can shoot the geese for me right. um so that's you know then of course you have spaces at a complete premium uh you won't have you know necessarily the entire family and grandma and you know the little kids like may not come because it's who you can fit in a truck and then you've got to you know, you've got to have space for all the gear and all those geese that you want to bring back, right? Uh, or if you do go to a coastal camp, because, and I'm sure this is something, you know, you'd be familiar with and anybody in the north, like, because the ice is changing so much, like, people are increasingly unwilling to go by skidoo. And so right, okay. you can now, you, you can go in the chopper, you can take a helicopter out to spring camp. And again, so, I mean, it's like, these are all... Um, kind of facts of how it is. I'm not just trying to excuse not doing it. No, oh, certainly not. It's a lot harder now. It's a lot harder now to kind of um, tag along. Obviously, that's that's not the important part of the change. Yeah. But um, it it makes it much harder. These kind of conditions. It's 
you know, you can kind of observe it when it's happening close to town, but in terms of kind of going out with people and being able to spend, you know, weeks at a goose camp, which you could do um, back kind of 30 years ago, now that would be quite challenging because also even when people do go to a goose camp, you know, they'll report coming back and they'll say, you know, we got two or three geese, you know, where before they would say, you know, every day we get 20 or 30. Um, so there, there is a, you know, a huge change in in these numbers and that's um obviously that's important in and of itself that's important for the impact on subsistence and um the kind of wider social and cultural value of geese and it's also important because it impacts you know which camp you go to where you go to who gets to come and you know in in that like it has quite a big impact on who gets to learn you know because being at camp people always talk about all the different things they learned all the different kind of valuable things they gathered in that time and I guess you know if you can't do that if the whole family isn't traveling that may impact or people are beginning to say it's going to impact on on young people and it you know has has other knock-on effects so that's probably something I should have talked about earlier (laughs) (laughs) that's very that's very interesting Uh, and and a, a very uh, and I, I mean, interesting specifically to me because it's one of the one of the kind of uh, with the to do a shameless self promotion of the podcast. One of the interesting aspects around hunting and fishing is to try to see and understand the the broader social connections to uh, hunting and fishing as as a various activity rather than simply just the particular act of. Uh, of like the in the moment of of the killing or the stalking yeah so it's uh and 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 real realistically i'm not all that if i'm not i'm not all that interested perhaps in 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 those methods because those are i mean those are very idiosyncratic to the particular creature that you're chasing where some of these broader issues in uh, uh are because they're they're also uh because uh, I'm a political scientist by training, and so there's political consequences too in terms of mm-hmm. various regulations, right? In terms of environmental regulations, hunting regulations, natural resource extraction regulations, and then just social, social and cultural, uh, inter like daily interactions. So it's very interesting that it, uh, how that how the the changes in like the geese migration patterns have perhaps change the practice of hunting and thus the consequences of that and also in terms of the knowledge sharing that's uh, is that a, is that a you said a little bit is that a uh, a concern uh, like that very few people are uh, learning how to learning it maybe isn't the proper uh, or the most appropriate word in the sense of passing on knowledge but um, is that that there's kind of that there's these kind of inadvertent roadblocks to knowledge it kind of is just it's staying with very few people and not being passed on or shared um i think i think what yes yes <laughs> i think so I and mean, i think people are I, I was hesitating because i think um i you know first of all i always kind of you know i'm an outsider and i comparatively have very little kind of like my knowledge is still very basic, and so I I don't want to. I'm reluctant to be like yes, right, yeah. This is how it is. <laughs> um, but I I think um, 
there are concerns that people are concerned about young people not getting those same that same kind of chance to go out at camp and to be there as long you know this is the thing people I was always really like really struck when people are talking about you know especially people maybe you know kind of 40 50 years old and they'd always use words like how much you know, they treasured that time when they were young you know like these kind of phrases like it was really kind of special and this there is like a, a real theme that I saw in all my interviews is people talking about the kind of link between a, a sense of of well-being and and being at camp and being able to do this and like how how amazing this was not just because you get to hunt and you get to get goose meat you know cause it tastes good but it's more than that like it's it's this kind of much wider sense of of kind of well-being or you know kind of living well um and so like there are concerns about that and i've heard people expressing concerns um about that and about people like younger people generally not having not always obviously never generalizing like not always having the opportunity to to kind of spend that much time on the land and to to learn all of that but at the same time one of the other reasons i was hesitating is that there are you know people are constantly certainly in Romindji, there are all sorts of really interesting things going on people trying to find ways around that um and also trying to find ways around you know uh the geese not being there so i think it's like even as you know i'm kind of talking about all this stuff i also like to be like but here are all the really kind of creative and um interesting ways that people are responding to that because i think that's really important too especially as an outsider like i'm always so conscious about i think it's really important to be conscious about the narrative that you create and not to just be like it's changing and, and this is just terrible like yes it's changing yes that's bad but also here are all the ways that people are responding to that um so if womenji has a really um kind of energetic um what's called the kind of culture and wellness department you know and they're doing all sorts of interesting they always have interesting things going on they're always doing events especially trying to get young people involved in you know um all sorts of things the youth department there there's an awful lot going on where people are trying to address this um but obviously you know they can only do so much if the geese aren't coming like that's going to have impacts and if you know other issues like if the ice isn't safe that is going to have an impact and i mean there's so much that people can do but you know you're also going up against something that is is you know very very um important and potentially quite quite significant um, and potentially quite dangerous and that's I'm also interested in that in terms of um, knowledge transmission in terms of knowledge about the land um, I'm quite interested in kind of issues of safety I mean it's not necessarily something that will come up in the thesis so much because you know kind of focusing on the on the geese but it was something that's kind of come up in my interviews is um, people talking about and I'm sure this touches on stuff that you're doing and a lot of other people are doing like when you're talking about things like ice, you know, you're talking about safety. You're talking also safety around kind of larger animals. Um, Wominji is seeing more polar bears than they ever used to see. And oh. that's a growing concern because hmm. people aren't familiar, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, it's got a lot of black bears there. But this summer there was, uh, you know, polar bears spotted quite near town and with cubs and, that, and that's all new. And so you have, um, at the same time that you have kind of some animals whose numbers are dropping, you have others that are coming in and um, <laughs> those numbers are increasing and that's quite scary. Or, you know, you have things like ice. And, and so you have this um, 
when I started this project, I was thinking about it mainly in terms of decline. You know, it was kind of linear, like, oh, there was a lot and now there's not so many. But now I realized that it's, it's not just so much about, it's not kind of straight line. And we're not only talking about geese, you know, you're talking about this whole kind of changing um, environment. I, I still can't think of a better word for that, but um, where it's not just things are going down, some things are coming up and some things are not necessarily changing in, like apparently aren't changing, but their kind of ability to be predicted or to be kind of um, adequately prepared for, that is changing. And that has worried a lot of people I've spoken to, especially things like ice. You know, people say it's different. Like not, not that there's less of it, but it's different now. And so there's these kind of, these are all these themes and they all kind of, I mean, they, they touch on issues of safety and they also touch on knowledge transmission, I think, because, you know, how do you teach young people to be safe um, and to kind of carry themselves well if, you know, everything is changing or if some things are changing or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these are much, obviously much, much broader issues and I don't think there'll be necessarily room for all of that in the <laughs> thesis, but I think they're all, I think they're quite interesting, like to me anyway. Back to that 20 year thing. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> although I'm sure, although I'm sure you probably uh, well, at least me, I wouldn't have wanted to been given 20 years to do a dissertation. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, that sounds... Uh, that's cruel. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 20 years to do the research, but different, uh, you know, different iterations and oh, productions yeah. from that. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. <laughs> No, that's that's not fair. Like it's actually a real privilege to have. You know, you realize that sometimes you're complaining about it. You're like, what am I? Like this is, you know, you're very lucky to be doing it. But yeah, it's, <laughs> sometimes you have to remind yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so haven't shot a goose, but you said you did process. Did you get uh, good at plucking, or did you learn any uh, particularly I... helpful strategies? Um, I <laughs> did not get that good, um, but I, you know, I, I tried and, um, yeah, like I was, I was struck by how, I mean, yeah, watch, trying to watch people and, and see, cause that, I think, I mean, I think that's probably a teaching method that it, my understanding is it's quite common in the North is, you know, no one's going to be like, this is how you do it. Like people, you, you kind of are meant to watch, right. And then you're going to learn. So I, I think I got less bad slightly <laughs> like I, I, that's as far as I'm willing to put it like I think I got I got slightly faster and slightly less concerned with yeah like I no I was still very bad <laughs> and it's hard on your hands like I I'm the more I did it the more in awe I was of these you know we hear stories of women you know and they the men you know turn up at the end of the day and they got like 40 geese and then you know women have to stay up because of course you have to it's much better to pluck them when they're still kind of warm and when it's all still quite, you know, you've got to process them, you've got to get it, you know, you've got a lot of work to do when they come in. And so, you know, women who would do that and they'd, especially, you know, they'd be up till 3 a.m., 4 a.m. plucking because they've got to get that job done. And then their hands would be, you know, like really shot. Like, um, yeah, so, no, I just got less bad, but I also <laughs> gained even more appreciation, you know, for all these stories I heard of, of women who would do that. I, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in terms of, and this is purely an ignorance question on my part, what's the, 
Is there a preferred method of uh, preparing the goose for eating? Or is it uh, a that is, that broad is array? That's a of... great question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's a variety, but like, um, I think kind of the one that I, most people kind of express like preference for is um, when you, you roast it um, in a teepee over the open fire. Uh, you call it sigabon. Uh, um, you have the goose uh, kind of, you have about, I don't know, you could have like six, eight geese, however many geese you can fit around quite a large open fire. Um, and they'd be hanging on these kind of um, hooks that suspended, um, you know, like a rack above the fire. And then the hook uh, latches onto, you have a very small kind of wooden um, pole that goes at the top and at the bottom of the goose. So the, the goose is now plucked and the head is off and everything is just the body. Um, and these little holes, these little um, wood kind of uh, sticks, you hook that, you know, so it's hooked on. And then you kind of, uh, to keep it cooking evenly, so it's hanging down, right? You you keep kind of tapping it with a stick, keep it spinning. Mm. So it kind of, effectively, you have, you know, these geese kind of like pirouetting <laughs> over the fire. Um, there's actually, I, I don't think it's in Wiminji, but someone told me that there are, kind of step dances or there are dances like based on this you know okay. <laughs> spinning around like geese <laughs> um and so i that was another thing that always cracked me up is you know people do this thing you have to tap it very carefully and you get it spinning and obviously it's great and it i mean it tastes incredible it takes mm, a couple of hours depends how big the geese are but it does taste absolutely amazing and there's little dishes underneath to catch the fat as it drips down uh which you can then like eat with bannock it's uh, pretty special but doing this this kind of spinning um i saw people doing it a lot and I, you know it didn't look they didn't make it look that hard um and then at one point you know somebody had to when the women had to leave and she says oh you know you can take charge of mine and <laughs> that was again yet another a bit like the plucking you know i mean i never actually got less bad at this i was always really bad at it but my you know everybody else's geese are kind of pirouetting very kind of sedately and nicely and Mine was kind of like swinging like a pendulum, <laughs> like just wildly um, over the fire. Lucky some, you know, <laughs> somebody else took it over control, you know, in a bit. But yeah, so that's that's kind of sigaboning, and then that's uh, it's really good. Um, and then there's all sorts of kind of there are not rules, but there are kind of observations about like who takes which part of the geese. So when it's all kind of and there's a special way of kind of cutting it up once it's all cooked. Um, but no, that is uh, that is a very very good meal. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of getting hungry after you describe that. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, me. <laughs> I shouldn't have talked. I shouldn't have talked about it. <laughs> uh, Do you have any particularly memorable or interesting stories from your in field work? Oh, um. Other than the ones you've shared about. Uh... <laughs> um. Well. Yeah, I I guess I you know I mean it was the whole kind of process has been kind of incredible and uh, you know probably many many stories that you know could be told of kind of people's like incredible like, like patience and generosity and you know the kind of good humor and and things like that but I guess you know there are stories of a lot of stories also of my own stupidity and like um, <laughs> ignorance one. Uh, it kind of cracks me up. I don't know, like it was last summer. Um, and this isn't related to geese. It's just kind of, I guess, a heads up for people who are as ignorant as I am. <laughs> uh, kind of um, being out just 
kind of the islands like Wuminji, obviously, is on James Bay, but it's kind of at the mouth of uh, a river, Mogador River, that kind of leads out towards James Bay. So there's these little islands that that um, kind of, as you go out in the river, you, you pass them by. And so I was at one of these islands with some friends, and uh, we keep hearing, like, throughout the afternoon, it's in summer, we keep hearing uh, what sounds like a, a really kind of um, upset dog like a dog that's been left going by itself and it's howling and yowling and we you know we say oh that's a poor dog like I wonder I wonder who left it like that you know we're just kind of every now and then we hear it we say wow that's a real shame like probably someone's going to come and get it maybe they left it tied up somewhere and we kind of carry on with our day and kind of cooking bannock and stuff but it keeps howling and, and we've got the dog with us and we think that's weird like he doesn't seem to notice crying probably whatever yeah i don't know we should have realized then that something was a bit weird if the dog <laughs> never picked up on it um and eventually we you know it's kind of getting dark it's going to get a bit colder and then we think oh this poor dog like we should go and check it out like we can tell it's just on the island just just kind of across from us like not too far i think okay so we, <laughs> we load up a, can, a little paddling canoe and we get some of the our dog we you know, get some of the food we put in like a little ziplock and some water a little bowl <laughs> And uh, we think, oh, poor dog, right, we'll go and see how this dog is doing. And we get closer, you know, and it's been howling all day, like nonstop. As soon as we get closer, we're just chatting, you know, we get there. And uh, it stops. And we're like, that's weird. Like, I wonder where this dog is. Like, we're looking around, we're thinking, you know, that's surely if he's in distress, he's going to hear us. He's going to think, okay, like, you know, people, that's good. And we're looking and we're looking and then we all kind of, we start to move towards, it's like an abandoned, um, a few abandoned cabins over there. And there's one, like we, we look around one, where's this dog? And then we go towards another one and we all just like start to get like goosebumps on our arms. <laughs> and we look over and we realize that the door has been kind of like pushed down, but not, not like by a person. Like, and then suddenly, <laughs> like it looks like there's been claws or something. And someone, one of the people we're with, they go, oh yeah. I just, you know, I just remembered, you know, when, um, when the black bears, like when he's eaten like a bunch of berries, you know, because it's about August, when he's eaten all the blueberries, he gets a stomachache and people say he starts to howl like a, <laughs> like a dog. And we're like, oh, <laughs> like, well, maybe we won't take him the dog food and the water. So then we just like, okay, we're probably going to, I don't know, I don't know if he was in that, that house, but we were all kind of didn't want to go any closer and we could see like the door was kind of something was in there and it was dead silent once we got towards it we thought yeah probably you know discretion is the better part of valor we're just gonna like little paddle back a little bit faster than we came you know <laughs> with our just laughing like we've got this little zippy you know dog food like <laughs> like you know mr bear we'll feed you dog. <laughs> so uh to me that was um it's kind of dumb but <laughs> that was pretty funny <laughs> oh, so that that's why we knew that's why our dog never you know he never made a fuss because he, he knew that wasn't a dog <laughs> right that's actually a great a great instructive informative story i've never heard of a that uh, a bear would would uh vocalize its stomach discomfort <laughs> Yeah, well, when we we talked to people about it later, and they're like, "Yeah, that's what you guys are stupid. You should have gone. <laughs> that's a great time to get a bear." Oh, the opposite. 
Yeah, because, you know, he's kind of, he can't move to, you know, he's kind of, he's obviously got a bad stomach pain. He doesn't want to go anywhere. But I guess it's why he was quiet, quiet when we got there. But I was thinking, oh, poor dog. Poor dog. Oh, man. Poor poor bear. That's it. Yeah, poor bear. Too many bears. (laughs) Well, at least that didn't end in a, a, a more shocking surprise. Yeah, that's it's like oh, that's a bear. Ah, we'd be paddling a lot faster. I think. <laughs> no, I think it's probably best all round. I think for him too, uh, he didn't want to see us either. <laughs> well, I think that's a that's a pretty perfect spot to uh, wrap this up. So uh, I'll say thank you very much for your time and your uh, what you've shared and. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we were finally able to arrange this. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk. That was really nice. Thank you. <laughs>